0: Good to be together this morning. Appreciate Taylor reading from it for us for, from Ephesians chapter 6. We're certainly going to study Ephesians 6 today, just not right now. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Psalm chapter 19. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week, Psalm chapter 19. And in just a few moments, we'll begin with verse number 12. Psalm chapter 19. Together, we're going to be looking at the last three verses of that chapter. Verses 12 through 14. Sometimes we just don't listen. And that's a problem. Maybe a problem that some of us struggle with. But what I believe to be an even greater problem is that sometimes we just don't listen to God. And that's what we talked about last week. Whenever we were together last Sunday morning, there are a lot of different distractions that we could think about here there are a lot of different excuses that we could make but the problem still remains sometimes we just don't listen but even worse sometimes we just don't listen to God last week we spent some time reflecting on the fact that we serve a God who wants to communicate with us We serve a God who wants us to hear his voice. As Christians, we have the responsibility to do that. We have the responsibility to hear God's voice. We have the responsibility to hear what God is saying to us, but we run into a question. And it's a question that's addressed in the first part of this psalm, the majority of this psalm, Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 11. How can we hear God's voice? If God wants to communicate with us so bad, in what ways has God chosen? To communicate with us. If you remember what we talked about last week as we look through Scripture, we find that God seeks to communicate with us through His creation, also called general revelation. We find that in the first six verses of Psalm chapter 19. We hear God's voice through His word, special revelation. In the next few verses in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. And then when we go to the New Testament, we find that we ultimately hear God's voice through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect, Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of God. He's the perfect demonstration of God's will. He's the perfect demonstration of God's character and nature. He is the perfect demonstration of God's voice. If we want to hear the voice of our God, then we need to spend time listening to the voice of Jesus, paying attention to what He has to say to us. Did you take some time to do that this past week? Over the last seven days, were you intentional about? Did you set apart some time to hear God's voice? Did you take some time to look up over the past seven days? To hear God speak through creation? How the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork? Did you take some time in the last seven days to look down at His Word? to allow God to speak to you through the scripture that he has inspired the scripture that he has delivered to us allowing him time to reveal his will to us his nature his character what he desires for our lives and perhaps most importantly did you open up your heart over the past week to hear what Jesus has to to hear rather what God has to say through his son Jesus Christ to hear the voice of God through the voice of his son and our savior our lord Jesus did what we talked about last week did the first 11 verses of Psalm chapter 19 make a difference in your life over the past seven days we said it a moment ago we'll say it again sometimes we just don't listen sometimes we just don't listen to God and that's a problem if we struggle with that we need to work on that but whenever we do listen to God's voice Whenever we do hear God speak through creation, through His Word, and through His Son, perhaps another question, the next question we should think about is how should we respond to that? How should we respond whenever we hear God's voice? How should God's voice change us? How should God's voice transform us? How should it change the way that we live, the priorities that we have, the decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis, on a week-to-week Basis. The first 11 verses of Psalms 19, we're asking the question, how can we hear God's voice? Now as we close out Psalm chapter 19, verses 12 through 14, we're asking the question, how should we respond to God's voice? We're asking that question this morning, because I believe that's the question that David is asking in the last three verses of Psalm chapter 19. David has heard God's voice. You go all the way back to the first verse of this psalm. David says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. That's something that he has experienced. He has heard God speak through creation. You drop down to verse number 7 and you find David saying that the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. He spends some time praising the Word of God for what it is and for what it does in our lives. David has heard God speak through His Word. Now the question that David is concerned with is how is he going to respond to that? David has heard God speak through creation. He's heard God speak through His Word. Now how is David going to respond to the voice of his God? In verses 12 through 14, he takes a look at himself. He takes a look at his own life. He takes a look into his own heart. He takes a look at his own decisions. And contemplates how he should respond to God's voice. Let's do the same thing this morning. We've heard God speak. We hear God speak through his creation, through his word, and through his son. Now the question is how should we respond to it? Let's take a look at our lives, let's take a look at our priorities, let's take a look at our hearts on the inside and the decisions that we're making on the outside. We've heard God's voice. Now how should we respond to it? We're going to present a couple of principles here. I think the first principle that we find in Psalms 19, the last three verses of that chapter, is that we should respond to God's voice by being transformed. That message is at the very heart of what David has to say in our passage of Scripture this morning. Now that David has heard God's voice, he has the desire to be changed. He's heard God's voice and he has the desire to be transformed, to be transformed from the inside out. For David, this is not just an intellectual exercise. He's heard God speak and he's gained more knowledge about God's Word. He's not really going to do anything with that knowledge. He just knows a little bit more. That's not what this is for David. It's not that David is impressed by God's voice. Wow, God speaks so powerfully and He speaks so gloriously. When God speaks, He speaks in perfection. But then in the next few days or the next few weeks, not focusing on that anymore. That's not what this is for David. When David hears God's voice, he says, I need to change my life. I need to be a transformed person. The question is specifically, how does David want to be transformed? He talks about that in a couple of different ways as we look at verses 12 through 14. First, David tells us that he wants to be transformed by eliminating the sin in his life. David has heard God's voice. He has the desire to be transformed. And he realizes, now that I've heard God speak, I can't be who I used to be. I can't live in sin. I can't do the things that I want to do. In this section of Scripture, David talks about a couple different kinds of sins. First, he talks about unrealized sin. Verse 12. Do you do things on a daily basis without really realizing that you do them? Or have you noticed that in other people? Maybe it's wringing your hands. Maybe it's finishing somebody else's sentences. I had a great aunt. You couldn't get a sentence out around her. You'd speak, and whether she was right or wrong, she was going to finish that sentence. Maybe some of you have experienced that too. Maybe it's clicking the end of a pen. Just constantly click, 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 click. Maybe it's shaking your leg just constantly up and down. Maybe it's chewing on your fingernails. Do you do things on a daily basis without realizing that you do them? The question for David is do I commit sins on a daily basis that I don't realize I commit? Do I have sins in my life that are unrealized? Blind spots that I don't see. David knows that he does. He calls them hidden faults in Psalm chapter 19 and verse 12. Who can discern his errors? The answer he's looking for is nobody. So he says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Even though David doesn't know what those hidden faults are, he knows that they're there. And he wants them to be gone. He wants them to be eliminated. Rescue me, David says, from hidden faults. I want these unrealized sins in my life to be gone. We saw last week in Psalm chapter 19, a little bit earlier in the chapter, David says that the Word of God enlightens the eyes. And that's what he's asking for here. David wants his unrealized sin to become realized. He wants his hidden faults to be found so that they can be removed, so that they can be eliminated. But then he moves into verse number 13 to talk about realized sin. He calls it in contrast with hidden faults in verse 12. He talks about presumptuous sins in verse number 13. Well, of course, David would want his unrealized sin to be removed, right? That's not a very hard thing. If he doesn't even realize that he's committing these sins, chances are he's not going to miss them very much when they're gone. What about those sins that are realized? What about those sins where David knows the right thing to do, but he chooses the wrong thing anyway? What about those sins that he likes? Those sins that he desires, that he finds happiness, and he thinks he finds fulfillment in those things. David says, I want them gone too. Notice in verse number 13 of Psalm 19, he says, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. He says, I don't want to be close to these sins. I don't want to hold on to these sins. God, I'm asking you to keep me back from these things. I want to be distanced from these sins. I don't want them to be a part of my life anymore. He says in verse 13, let them not have dominion over me. He says, I know these sins I have in my life. I can tell you what they are. And I don't want them to have dominion over me anymore. I don't want these sins to lord over my life, to have control over my life. I want them gone, I want them eliminated. Whether it's realized or unrealized. David wants to be transformed. And in order to be transformed, he realizes he has to eliminate his sin. He wants to eliminate his sin, verse 13, so that he can be blameless and innocent of great transgression. But that's not the only thing that David mentions. David also says in verse 14 that he wants to be transformed By living a life that is acceptable to God. In verse 14, David talks about his words and he talks about his thoughts. The words of his mouth and the intentions of his heart. Those are the two hardest things to control, aren't they? The words that you speak the thoughts that you think. I'm sure you have. Have you ever been in a situation where you said something without even thinking about it and the words just jumped out of your mouth and you wish you could grab them and just pull them back in because you didn't mean to say it? Have you ever had an impure sinful thought pop into your head and you're left wondering where in the world did that come from? It just popped into your head and you have no idea where it came from or no idea why that specific thought popped into your head at that specific time. David has heard God's voice. And because he heard God's voice, he wants to be transformed. And in order to be transformed, David has this great desire to live a life that's acceptable to God, to control the uncontrollable. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, not in the sight of another person. Who is David trying to impress? He's not trying to impress somebody else. Let the words of my mouth, let the meditation of my heart Be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How should we respond to hearing God's voice? The first principle that we find in this passage is that we should respond by being transformed. In the ancient world, there were two very well-known speakers that had a lot of similarities. They were very polished speakers. People liked to hear them. People would travel from all over to hear what these two specific individuals had to say. And and large crowds would gather to hear them speak almost every time they spoke. The first one was a Roman named Cicero. And the second one was a Greek named Demosthenes. Even though they were so similar, there was one major difference. And a commentator noticed that there was a difference not in how they spoke, but in how people responded to what they said. This commentator said, when Cicero spoke, people said, how well Cicero speaks. But, when De- De- Demosthenes spoke, they said, let us march against the enemy. Can you see the difference there? Whenever they heard Cicero spoke, they were really impressed. Wow, I would love to hear him speak again. He's such a good speaker. He, he engages me, and, and I like to hear what he has to say. But it doesn't make a difference in their lives. In contrast to that, when they hear Demosthenes speak, they're not just saying, look at how impressive he is. They're saying, let's go out and march against the enemy. Let's go and fight. Let's go and do what he was telling us to do. And whenever we hear God's voice, we should respond by being transformed. Being changed from the inside out. It changes our lives. It changes our priorities. It changes our decisions, the way that we think, in the way that we live. It's not just an intellectual exercise. Hearing God speak is not just gaining more knowledge about God so that I can know more about Him, but then not do anything with that knowledge. Hearing God speak is not just about being impressed. When you look up in the sky and and you see how vast it is, and you're inspired to think about God's power and presence, or when you look down at His Word and you see how perfect it is, it's not just something that should impress us. It's something that should change us. Whenever we hear God speak, We don't respond like the people responded to Cicero. Oh, how well God speaks. God's a great speaker, isn't he? Whenever we hear God speak, we should respond by saying, Let's march against the enemy. It's time to act, it's time to respond. When we hear God speak, we're not going to continue to live in sin. We're not going to continue to do things that are contrary to His will. When we hear God speak, we're going to have such a great desire to eliminate that sin in our lives. I don't want to be close to it. I want to be far away from it. I don't want it to have dominion over my life. Whenever we hear God speak, we're going to live and conduct ourselves in ways that are acceptable to Him. The words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart being pleasing in His sight, doing all that I can to control the uncontrollable. Hearing God's voice should move us to change. It should move us towards transformation. But how do we do that? You might be thinking, that seems like a pretty tall undertaking. That seems like a pretty hard thing to do. With where I am right now, I don't see how I could get to where what David is talking about in this passage. Well, thanks be to God that it's not all on our shoulders. The second principle that we find in this passage is that whenever we hear God's voice, we should respond, yes, by seeking transformation, but how are we transformed? Number two, we respond to God's voice by personally seeking His help. When David talks about being transformed, he doesn't talk about what he's going to do. Do you notice that in the text? When David talks about being transformed, He doesn't say, okay, here's my list of 12 steps to be a better person. Or here's 10 or 15 steps to be a more faithful servant of God. That's not what he does. He doesn't talk about what he's going to do. He talks about what God is going to do. He doesn't place his life in his own hands. He places his life in God's hands. Being the person that God wants him to be, David realizes it's not all on his shoulders. He seeks God's Help. He seeks God's existence. He correctly realizes that if he's going to be the person that God wants him to be, he can't do it alone. And so he seeks the help of his God. Notice that as as we walk back through this short passage, verse number 12, who can discern his errors? What's the answer that David is looking for? Nobody. Nobody can look at their life and write down, here's all the sins I'm struggling with. Here's all the things going on in my life. David realizes that he can't do that, so what does he do? He seeks God's help. Declare me innocent. It's interesting. David doesn't say, I'm going to be innocent from hidden faults. I've heard your voice, God. Now I'm going to make sure that I'm innocent of these unrealized sins in my life. He seeks God's help. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Verse number 13, he doesn't say, I'm going to keep myself back from presumptuous sins. He says, God, I'm asking for your help. I want you to keep me back from presumptuous sins. He doesn't say, I'm not going to allow sin to have dominion over my life. That's going to be a no He says, God, let these sins... Not have dominion over my life. He's seeking God's help. In verse 14, when he talks about his words, when he talks about his thoughts, he doesn't say, I'm going to make sure. I have it all planned out. I have it written down. Here's 12 steps for my words and my thoughts being pleasing in your sight. He says, no, let. What's he doing? Seeking God's help. Let my words, let my thoughts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If David is going to be the person that God wants him to be, he very correctly realizes that he can't do it on his own. So he seeks God's help. Now we're not saying that David can sit back and do nothing. We're not saying that David can just go live the life he wants to live and pray this little prayer, three verse prayer, and God's going to transform him and change him while he continues to live in sin. We're not saying that at all. But what we are saying is that David can't do this alone and he realizes it. So he seeks God's help. It's a very personal appeal, isn't it? It wouldn't have been inappropriate for him to do so. But when you look at verse 12, 13, and 14, he's not praying for another person. He's not praying for the nation of Israel. He's serving as king. He's not praying for the entire world. He's not praying for his immediate family. He's heard God's voice. And he very personally responds to that. Declare who? Me. God, this is about you and me. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant. He's talking about himself. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Don't let them have dominion over everybody else. Don't let them have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent. Verse 14, He's not concerned with other people's words and thoughts. He's concerned with his own words and thoughts. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. In your sight. He makes such a personal appeal to God because it's rooted in his personal relationship with God. How does he talk about God at the end of verse 14? Oh Lord, the rock and the redeemer. Again, it wouldn't have been inappropriate for him to do so. But that's not what he does in this context. He emphasizes his relationship with God. God is his rock. The one who provides him with protection. God is his redeemer. The one who provides him with Redemption: He has a personal relationship with God, and as a result of that, he very personally seeks God's help, because he realizes he can't do it alone. I think we have to realize the same thing. If we're going to be transformed in response to God's voice, we can't put it all on our shoulders. We have to seek God's help. I don't know how many of you have heard of a man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. He lived from the late 1800s into the early 1900s. He was a very well-known and popular gospel singer. He had the opportunity in London one day to sit down with another man named General Booth. Perhaps you're familiar with General Booth. He is very popular, especially in British culture. He was the founder of the Salvation Army. And served as the first captain of the Salvation Army. So, when Mr. Chapman had the opportunity to sit down with General Booth, he was in his mid 80s. Mr. Chapman took advantage of it. He asked him one question General Booth, what is your secret to success in life? You've done all these different things. You started the Salvation Army. You think about where the, especially where the Salvation Army is now. General Booth, what is your secret to being so successful in life? General Booth hesitated. He didn't answer immediately. Tears started to well up in his eyes and then stream down his face. He told Mr. Chapman a lot of different things that day, but reflecting on it just a few years later, Chapman summarized General Booth's words by saying this, What's the secret to success in life? The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. The greatness of a man's power. You want to be successful in life, General Booth says? Surrender yourself. Surrender everything that you have to God That's where the greatness of your power is going to come. How should we respond to God's voice? We're going to seek His help. Not saying that we can sit back and do whatever we want to do. Not saying that we can live the life that we want to live. But if we're going to be transformed, we have to seek God's help. We don't put it all on our shoulders. We seek God's help. We don't put it all in our hands. We put it in God's hands. When we talk about living a transformed life, how do we talk about it? We don't talk about it saying what we're going to do. We talk about it saying what God is going to do. How He is going to change us. How He is going to transform us. How the greatness of our power comes through a willingness to surrender to God's mercy and to surrender to His grace. If we're going to respond to His voice in a way that's appropriate, and if we're going to be transformed, we have to very personally Seek His help. You have a personal relationship with God, don't you? If you don't, that's where you need to start. But if you do, based on that relationship, make a personal appeal to Him. Seek His help. There was a missionary by the name of Wilbur Jackson who lived as a missionary for a number of years without a car. Well, he finally raised up the funds to buy a car, but the problem with this car is that it wouldn't start unless it either got a jump start or a push start. So it was something that was pretty difficult to deal with. Whenever he would leave his house in the morning, he would go down the road to the school and get a few kids and get them to push his car so that it would start. As he drove his car around throughout the day, if he was going to stop somewhere for a short amount of time, he would leave the car running. If he was going to start, stop somewhere for a longer amount of time, he would park on a hill so he could get a rolling start. He thought that was pretty clever. A pretty clever way to deal with it. He didn't need another car. He made it work, but it was kind of difficult sometimes. A few years after that, the Jackson family became sick and he had to return from the mission field back to the United States. Another young missionary came to take his place. And so before he left, he was teaching the young missionary the ropes, right? He was telling him, okay, here's what you do. Eventually he got to the car. This car is really difficult to deal with. And he told him this this plan, this way that he dealt with the car, you have to either push start it or get a jump start and go down to school, get some kids, they'll come and help you. And the young missionary held up his finger. He said, hold on just a second. Let me go and check some things out. And so he popped open the hood. He reached down. He was there for about 60 seconds. Popped back up, shut the hood. Got in the car, put the key in, started it up, engine roared to life, no problem. He ended up informing wilbur jackson that the problem was just a loose cable that was the only thing that was wrong with the car and stopped it from running the car had the potential to run and to work perfectly but it just had to have the right connection you know you might be looking at this up on the screen you might be looking at down at this in the text and thinking it's a pretty tall order Where I am right now, it seems impossible to get to where I'm transformed and I'm seeking God's help and I'm eliminating the sin in my life and I'm living in a way that's acceptable to God. My words and my thoughts being acceptable in His sight. That might seem like a very tall order. That might seem like something that's impossible to do. But I want you to know that you can do it. I want you to know that you have the potential to do everything that's talked about in this text. You have the potential to live a transformed life. You have the potential to eliminate your sin. You have the potential to live in such a way that is acceptable and pleasing in the sight of God. You just have to have the right connection. You can do it. You have the potential to do it. You just have to be connected to the Father. Seek His help. Rely on Him. Trust in Him. Put it in His hands. Watch and see how He's going to transform your life and change you completely from the inside out. That's what our God is capable of whenever we seek His help. God wants to communicate with us. It's no secret. God wants us to hear. His voice. And I think Psalm, the 19th chapter, David, helps us to do that. We have the responsibility to hear His voice. To hear His voice through creation, through His Word, and through His Son. But even beyond that, a step beyond that, we can't just listen to God's voice and walk away unchanged. We have the responsibility to not just listen to God's voice, but to respond to God's voice, to be transformed, to eliminate our sin, to live in such a way that's acceptable to God while seeking His help and relying on Him for the power and strength that we need. I said last week that as a community, as a church family, and even as individuals, we need nothing more than to hear God's voice. And I still believe that to be true. But we need to take a step beyond that. Don't just listen to God's voice. Respond to God's voice. Be changed. Be transformed by what you hear God say through creation, through His Word, and through His Son. So how are you doing with it? How are you responding to God's voice on a day-to-day basis? How are you responding to His voice on a week-to-week basis Really, the question is, are you the person He wants you to be? Are you relying on Him? Are you trusting in Him? Are you being transformed by Him? How are you going to respond to God this month? How are you going to respond to God this week? Have you thought about that? And maybe an urgent question, how are you going to respond to God in this moment? Because you have the opportunity to do so as together we stand and sing Psalm that's been selected.